Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. What's up, everyone? You're listening to another episode of Half Straight High Heat, presented by Manscaped and part of the Fan Sided Network. I am Nick. You can follow me on Twitter at Nationals Ace. I am only joined by my friend Ryan. You can catch him on Twitter at We're All Shack. Amanda is a little under the weather, so we will not be uh, blessed by her presence, but you will always hear the lovely, lovely voice of my friend Ryan. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. Um, I I got free Nats tickets to the game on Wednesday. Oh, that's right. Yes. So I was I was at that. My buddy texted us like, "Hey man, want tickets to the game?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" Doesn't tell me where the seats are, and he sends them to me, and I'm like looking. I'm like, "Where the hell is this?" And I'm like, "What's Wash Two? And I like Google it. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh it's my the street god!" Beyond <laughs> he just sent me freaking sweet. So I got free sweet tickets to game. The weather was fantastic. The food was okay. Um, if I paid, I would have been upset, but I didn't. So I ate about three and a half plates full <laughs> and I drank a good amount. It's so like, I probably gained about 10 pounds, but it was free. So the calories don't count. That's how I look at it. And just for the record, uh, Ryan was texting me as this was going on. And the first thing he says before the game even started, uh, before he talks about the seats, before he sends a picture, any of that, the food sucks. Next thing I know, <laughs> he's saying his stomach hurts from eating too much. <laughs> like that's well, how like, that all played out. I was, I was, I was expecting like, you know, fancy food. And I walked in and just had hot dogs, wings, and mac and cheese. And I was like, this sucks. But then I started eating it. And then later in the game, they brought like chicken tenders and then they brought Italian sausages. They didn't bring dessert. I wanted dessert. That's okay. So like, of course, I'm going to eat it all. 
And I did. I ate a lot and my stomach really hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, a couple weeks ago, I sat in the, it's still called the diamond club, right? PNC diamond club. Yes. The one, yes. Yes. Not yes. directly behind home plate, but a little bit one tier back. Yeah. And they, they have the, you know, restaurant indoor portion where it's just like a buffet. They have a bunch of different stations and like some of that food was good, but not all of it was good. Like I had the, the beef brisket and it was really good, but then I had a pulled pork sandwich as well. And that was just very average. So I mean, first of all, it doesn't surprise me that Nat's food has under or Nat's park has underwhelming food that just, you know, par for the course. But if for a sweet and probably what those tickets go for, I would imagine you would get, you know, their their best foot forward. But then again, you know, maybe they just gave up as well. Maybe they punted on 2021 <laughs> as well. So who knows? But overall rating of the uh, the sweet tickets, would you recommend? I mean, I gotta, certainly if, if they're free, you're going to recommend them. But. <laughs> um, I, I would, I would give it like a, a 10 out of 10. The view of the, of, like, Jeez, the whole field. Way to undersell it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So like, <laughs> like I walked in, it was in the MGM suite. I was trying to take a Snapchat and like the guy came out of the bathroom and was like, hello. And I was like, you ruined my Snapchat. Um, but no, like the view of the field was really nice. The seats were like really big and comfortable. There's probably like 11 people in the suite. So like no one is really close to me either. I had a great time. It was comfortable. It was really nice. Like if you could ever, you know, get yourself a suite, those are expensive as hell. Do it. Treat yourself. If someone offers you free suite tickets, always say yes. It's 100% worth it. I had a great time. The weather was also fantastic. <laughs> well. I mean, it makes sense. If anyone offers you free sweet tickets, take it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the, the kind of great advice you get here. You can't miss advice from Half Street High Heat. All right, let's get into our quick pitch and talking about punting on the 2021 season. Some people still view it that way. I view it as, you know, a setup for the future. I'm sure, Ryan, you, you view it that way as well. Regardless, our, our tensions being shifted. Our heads are turning. Do you have a bandwagon team you're rooting for the rest of the way? I've always liked the Padres Mm -hmm. just because like, I feel like they're a team that's really easy to root for. They're young. They're fun. I really like Tatis, but now Tatis is hurt. So like I'm still in on them. I like them. So I'm going to keep with the Padres. I'm going to keep the Padres. I was going to say the Red Sox because I have a couple buddies for the Red Sox. But Red Sox fans, but I really I just enjoy watching the Padres play. So I'm gonna go with the Padres. That's fair. And I like that. Um, I've always liked the Padres. I, I tend to root for if my team's out of it, I root for the teams that haven't won in a while. Um, and that's for any sport. I love kind of the run we've been on in recent years. I mean, obviously the Bucks just won in, in the NBA, and before that was like the Raptors and uh, you know, the Blues, the Capitals, like all, all these teams winning for the first time in a long time, if, if not ever. Um, so that's kind of where I go. I, I struggle because I, Mookie Betts is my favorite player outside of Washington. He's probably my favorite player in general, but uh, it's hard to root for the Dodgers. Like I, I, I view their world series as legit. You know, some people are going to call it Mickey Mass, but that, that's fine. Whatever. Um, I, but I love Mookie Betts and obviously Max Scherzer, Trey Turner going there only increases like my desire to be like, Hey, wouldn't mind if they did well. Um, but I also really like the Padres. Like you said, um, the Red Sox, 
I mean, it's cool to see them do well, but they've won like four times in the past, like eight years. So they, they've gotten their fill. Um, I would probably say White Sox or yeah, White Sox or Padres, just because they're the two teams we kind of highlighted coming into the season as the young and up, up and coming teams. Um, and I would like to see them do well. The only problem with the White Sox is any success they have is credited to Tony La Russa and nobody wants that. So I, I would probably say Padres with you. But, yeah, I mean, I just they're just young and fun. Yeah, and that that's I mean, what you it's want. As simple as that. That's kind of what we're seeing with the Nats right now. It's like, yeah, there might they not might not be the quality as quality of a team as we saw before. Although what we weren't seeing before wasn't all that quality, but they're young and it and it's exciting to see a young team do well and see that kind of next generation and their potential come to fruition. So. I mean, that's kind of what we're seeing with the Padres and, and the White Sox and a couple other teams around the league. Blue Jays, another one. Hopefully they can sneak into the playoffs because Toronto's playoff atmosphere is electric. Um, if they can somehow find their way into a home playoff game, even better. Even better. So, all right. Blue Jays are a good one. They, they are a good one. Um, I don't – so with, with the – you know, Nats being in, in the, the state that they are. Like, I have I went to two games this week. We went to Josiah Gray's debut together. But it feels like I have just kind of lost touch with what's going around baseball. Is there a way I can uh, get caught up? Man, you are so lucky because I have all of the news. We start with sad news as Houston Astros icon J.R. Richard, whose career was cut short by suffering a stroke in 1971. He sadly passed away at the age of 71. Excuse me, his stroke was in 1980, and he passed away at the age of 71. The entire baseball world mourns the loss. Trevor Bauer's administrative leave is extended again in seven days as his situation is now in (laughs) headed to court george springer is finally showing toronto why they signed him he has been the best hitter since the all-star break and keeping the blue jays alive as they're playing fantastic baseball max scherzer makes his dodger debut he goes seven strong and strikes out 10 against the astros he got a curtain call and made comments about that made some people upset the red signed in their enciarte to a minor league deal red sox president sam kennedy takes shot at the yankees trade deadline moves saying quote they had to be active because they're three to ten against us end quote maybe the red sox should have been more active because they're three and seven in their last 10 as their their pitching continues to derail them Yankees are seven and three in their last 10 back on the Astros and Dodgers. They faced each other and it got ugly in the stands. There were several fights, several videos of people getting assaulted and even head butted. Remember it's never that deep. Don't fight people in the stands to the NL East and fifth place already 47 and 62 Marlins. They took three of four against the Mets and up next are the Rockies and fourth place are the 49 and 60 Nats. We got more on them in a second. And third place are the 54 and 54 Braves, who for the life of them cannot get above 500. They went 30 straight games without winning or losing two games in a row. They're a 500 baseball team. They took the first two against the Cardinals, and they lit up John Lester for six earned runs and Lester's first start as a Cardinal. 
And second place are the 56 and 53 Phillies. They have four games swept the Nats and now are only half a game back of the Mets. Bryce Harper is playing at a MVP level as they play the Mets this weekend for a battle for the first place in NL East. And first are the 56 and 52 Mets. As I mentioned, they only have a half a game lead. They collapsed the entire series against Miami. Things are not going well in Queens. Michael Conforto is a complete liability and cannot buy a hit. Jacob deGrom suffered another setback, and they have no update on when Lindor is going to return. Edwin Diaz is out on paternity leave, making their bullpen a big question mark. This has been your week review, and make sure you guys head on over to T Public. Head on over to tpublic.com and search Half Street High Heat to keep up to date with all of our latest swag and merchandise and new t-shirt designs that are always coming out. This has been your week in review. So I think the logical place to start is obviously Max Scherzer and the way his debut unfolded, both with his performance and obviously what I don't even really want to say transpired. Like it shouldn't be that big of a deal. I know you think the same way, but also it was just really funny how second batter of the game, you get the patented Max Scherzer solo shot. (laughs) And then he still manages to go seven, only giving up two and gets the dub versus the Astros, just firmly entrenching himself in the, or endearing himself to Dodgers fans as if he wasn't already like he he's a Dodgers legend already at this point for, for what he did against the Astros. But what did you think about his comments afterwards about the curtain call and all that stuff? So, excuse me, a lot of Nats fans are going, well, let me, let me rephrase that. A lot of Nats fans were upset. If you guys didn't see Max Scherzer said it was nice to get a curtain call. He says never gotten one of those before. This is really just PR. He's in a new city, new fans. Um, he's also not wrong. Nats never gave him a curtain call because whenever Max Scherzer did incredible things, he went the complete game. So he never really had an opportunity for a current call because everyone was just celebrating what he did after the game. Also, it doesn't matter what Nats fans did when he was in Nats Park. <laughs> 30,000 cheering is not the same as getting a current call from 62,000 people. Like it, yep. you can't, re- you can't really compare it. Like, you know, Max is an absolute freak. It's the Astros. He understands what went on between them. He understands all of it. And he was strutting and puffing and like doing this whole thing after he struck out Altuve to start the game. It meant a lot to him. So obviously he's going to be excited. It's his new team. He's trying to, you know, get some good PR with the new fans. He's going to suck up to them. It's what athletes do. Don't look into it too much. Max already complimented his team a lot. He complimented his fan base a lot. He kept referring to the fans as us and we, even in his first uh, press conference when he left. DC is always going to be special to him. Don't get upset. That's all yeah. I got to say about it. I mean, I agree. You, you hit the nail on the head. Like it's, it's the same concept as when someone says, this is where I want to retire. And then they end up going to a different team. Like <laughs> Starling Marte said, he wanted to stay with Miami long-term and then uh, like a month later, he gets traded to Oakland. Like it, it just, it's PR. And obviously being in a situation you're in with the Dodgers trying to win a quote unquote legitimate title, the the race they're in, in the NL West, let alone the NL. And obviously, you know, for a world series, he, he knows the situation and playing the Astros. Like you just said, he knows the situation. Max is a savvy guy. He's, does he probably have issues with the Nats organization? Probably. It's not uncommon. We've seen a couple other big name stars 
not just Bryce, Anthony Rondon did it too. Steven Strasburg did it before he resigned. They all had problems, not necessarily with the manager or the GM, but just with the organization, how things are going we're not going to get into that. But do I think he was taking a shot at Nats at the Nats and Nats fans? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like you just said, he that's an environment that you don't get often in baseball. You only get it in a couple of parks. Dodger Stadium is one, maybe Fenway. I would imagine Fenway and maybe a select few others at certain times if the team is good. But Dodger fans and Red Sox fans and, you know, again, a couple others are always going to be that passionate. And obviously you're at a venue like Dodger Stadium that can seat that many. It's just a different level. Max didn't mean anything by it. I, I think Nats fans are just looking for another reason to be upset. They're a highly sensitive fan base. It's not that big of a deal. It's okay to be upset. But don't be upset about Max. Don't be a, about Max like trying to endear himself to his new team. And don't be upset over nothing. Right, be upset that your favorite player is gone. But again, like we talked about last week, focus on the new Nats. Speaking of the new Nats, I think I know the answer, but just for the sake of being thorough with the state of the NL East, <laughs> do you have any second guesses on the deadline decision? I, I, I know the answer, but let's just say, you know, not selling at the deadline had some of these blown saves turn out differently and then maybe we're only two and a half back right now do you have any second thoughts or are you happy with what happened no i mean i'm i'm very very happy with what happened it is the right decision as mike rizzo said in a press conference today the worst thing you can be in sports is in mediocre that's really weird because i said that and a certain co-host who's not here tonight disagreed <laughs> with me but the general manager of the washington nationals agrees the worst place you could be in sports is mediocre you are the general manager of the washington Nationals. i i am the general manager of washington <laughs> nationals i know ball he agrees he understands it they did the right thing the nlese sucks i cannot stress that enough how bad is nlese the nats are 9 and 22 in their last 31 They've only lost a game and a half in the standings. How? Just how? <laughs> this division absolutely reeks. The Nats are only six and a half back, and they're playing, what's that, like sub 400 ball in their last 31 games, but they reek. So is the entire NL East. If the Nats didn't sell and bot, you're basically just chasing the pipe dream, and you're going to, whoever wins this division is getting absolutely worked by whoever they're playing in the first round. It was the right call. I'm glad they did it. They do have five blown saves in 12 games. Sucking when you're supposed to be good isn't fun. Now, this record of the last 31 includes when they're supposed to be good. But even these last couple of days, like when they're losing, they're blowing leads. It's okay because Kyle Finnegan is his team's closer right now. Kyle Finnegan is not a closer. Kyle Finnegan is not going to be a closer at some point in his career. It's okay. Guys are getting experience and that's what matters. Look at the bullpen. Guys are pitching in high leverage situations when they have no high leverage like experience in their life. This is going to be very valuable and going to make them better pitchers. Getting the experience, pitching in roles that they're not used to, it's going to take time. They're going to struggle, but they're going to learn how to navigate and manage high stress situations. And that is going to help this bullpen so, so, so much down the road. And I'm still very happy the Nats basically sold the entire roster. Yeah, I agree. Ryan's happy with what happened. I'm happy with what happened. And 
what has happened, like you said, is nine twenty two in the last thirty one. But if you do the math, majority of those games were before the deadline. This team got every chance to succeed, to turn it around, to prove otherwise to not only the fans, but ownership in the GM that they could do it and they couldn't. And there's nothing wrong with that. The only thing that would have been wrong with that is if they couldn't do it and the GM and ownership did nothing about it. And like we talked about all last week and after the deadline, Rizzo stepped up and he did what really not many people thought he could and would do. And that's what it comes down to, right? You you have to address your team as is not what you want it to be, right? You have to accept reality. The reality was the team as constructed could not get it done. It was not going anywhere. The team as constructed would never catch the Mets, even if or like the team stayed together and we see how the Mets are playing right now. The Nats still weren't going to catch them. The Nats were still blowing saves prior to trading everyone. The Nats were still unable to score runs prior to trading everyone. The problems that are there now, while maybe amplified, they were still there before. This team was not meant to compete. And and that's fine because of where we're at now. We sold everyone. We got a lot of assets for, yeah, valuable players, but they weren't going to be valuable for us because it wasn't going to change the end result. And that's where I fall on it. Like, yeah, it's not fun watching your team lose, especially when you might've come into this year expecting, you know, a run, at least the division, if not a wild card, it's not fun, but it doesn't mean you, you can't find enjoyment in what this team is, right? There's a lot of young guys that we're going to get to in a little bit that provide reason for excitement and for hope and optimism. And that's coming from us, right? We are the most pessimistic Nats fans. I know maybe second, (laughs) but there there's reason to hope for the future and not expect this rebuild or retool, whatever you want to call it to be, uh, you know, dragged out too long. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some, uh, you know, blood, sweat and tears and some TLC, but it can get there. And I think they're going to at least try, especially with Juan Soto not lugged up for, you know, the rest of his life. They're going to try to win before he's a free agent. They're going to try to maximize the contracts of Strauss and Corbin. So there's a lot of indicators that leading me to lead me to believe that they will compete sooner rather than later, or at least try to. So if this isn't your cup of tea, which I don't blame you, losing isn't really many people's cup of tea. Well, I don't think we'll be losing for that long, but doesn't mean all is bad when we lose. But, you know, nine and 22 in your last 31, five blown saves five blown saves in 12 games is not fun. And you mentioned these young guys specifically in the bullpen getting put in high leverage situations that they wouldn't normally, uh, you know, be in. It was just funny. We went to, you know, Josiah Grace debut and in his second career appearance, Gabe Clobo stop, whatever. I call him the Clobo cop. Clobo cop. Clobo cop. That's sticking. That's patented and coined by half street high heat. Please credit. Uh, the Clobo cop was immediately the setup guy in his second career appearance. And in, I don't know, Wander Suero came in to close the game. And we all know how that ended, right? Even though Wander Suero, he of a 5.76 ERA entering that game. And obviously that led to the first of four of a four game sweep, first game of a four game sweep by the Phillies. Yeah, obviously we, 
we were there, we would have liked that game to end it in a Nat stub. There was a couple opportunities for Nat stubs. Finnegan today, blue one. But this is all experience. You're going to see who can work through struggles and who can rise to the top. And I'm fine with that. Let's, you know, weed out the weak links and we got some depth now to play with. Let's see what happens. Right. That's where I fall. So, you know, we got the Braves coming up. That's always a big series. It's a different Braves team from kind of what we expect. Obviously, no Ronald Acuna. Their pitching is still depleted, but they have a revamped outfield that can can swing it a little bit. So our pitching needs to be on point. What do you what are your expectations? What are your thoughts going into this Brave series? Yeah, so looking at the Braves, um, they are 11th in starting pitching ERA, 14th in whip, 17th in bullpen ERA, 19th in bullpen whip. They're really not that good. Uh, hitting, average is 14th, 10 is on base, and on base, 7th in OPS, 10th in runs, 4th in home runs. They're going to slug, they're going to slug, they're going to slug. You look at the pitching matchups, they got Kyle Muller on Friday. He's going against Eric Fetty. Saturday, you got Charlie Morton going up against Josiah Gray, making his second start as a Washington National. And then Sunday, it's Max Freed versus Patrick Corbin. Eh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Patrick is Patrick. He pitched really well, and then just things fell apart. I feel like that's a really common thing with him. He either starts off terrible and then settles in, or he starts off really well, and he goes one inning too long. Hopefully, he can avoid that one inning too long on Sunday. Josiah Gray, you're probably going to get five innings out of him again. I think the Nats are going to keep him on the pitch count for a while, which is smart. Eric Fetty, it's 50-50. You don't know if he's going to get lit up. You don't know if he's going to be shut out. The Braves just like, they're only two games back, so they're playing for a lot right now. I'm just not really impressed with them. You know what I mean? Like they got Jock mm-hmm. Pearson leading off, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley is playing really good baseball right now. Adam Duvall, Jorge Soler, they got Swanson and Steven Bowe. That's their usually their lineup against righties. That's probably the lineup they're gonna be rolling out Friday and Saturday. Freeman, Riley, Albies, that's a pretty good middle. It's not the same without Acuna. I'm not really worried about Jock Peterson. Jorge Soler will luck into about two or three home runs this weekend. Just with how the Nats have been playing, like they've been making a lot of little mistakes, which is what happens when your team is, you know, rebuilding and tears it down. The Nats make a lot of little mistakes. I expect those little mistakes to keep happening. And I think the Braves win two of three. I would like the Nats to win two of three, but it literally seems like the Nats can't buy a win to save their life right now. Um, so I think the Braves take two of three. I expect those little mistakes to keep happening. Like all four runs gave up by Kyle Finnegan today were unearned because of a key boom error. Um, Escobar had two errors in the game on Wednesday. Robles overthrew a couple of cutoffs. There's a lot of little things that this team's messing up on right now, but it's fine because it's the young guys. It's going to keep happening and it's going to happen this series. So like I said, doubling down on it, I think Braves take two or three. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, the Braves have kind of had a weird stretch since early to mid-July. I don't know if you guys follow Foolish Baseball, but they've had the, the bit going. The Braves over the last, let's call it 30 games, until I believe yesterday, had gone win-loss, 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 win, and literally alternated for 30 straight games. So it's like they weren't losing ground, but they weren't gaining ground either. Actually, they were gaining ground because the Mets kept losing. So if this team can just take it up one notch, I mean, 
they're going to be, I mean, they're only two games out right now, but they're going to be probably the division leaders because they're the most well-rounded team, even with all their injuries. Um, that being said, the Phillies just swept the Nats. So I kind of have the expectations that the Braves will sweep the Nats too. And that's just is what it is at this point. I mean, I, I it's rare that I anticipate a sweep and I'm just like, eh, all right. It's kind of what it is at this point. Like <laughs> I know people don't like the word tank, but that's kind of what it is because adding another top 100 Openly prospect. Tank. Yeah. Adding another top 100 prospect to an already improving farm is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. And if we're not going to compete this season, then, you know, what we've seen over the last four games is almost like best case scenario. The young guys are shining, but we're losing. It's like, I mean, it is chef's kiss. It is perfect, perfect scenario because winning does us nothing. And I know there's going to people be people that say, oh, we played spoiler last season. We knocked the Phillies out and we still ended up with Brady House. That was lucky. <laughs> Don't anticipate that happening again. A person like Brady House does not normally fall to 12 or 13, wherever we picked. So I'd rather secure a top five draft pick, top seven draft pick, and definitely get our pick of the litter as opposed to hoping someone falls for us. But again, I mean, that's way down the line. I think the Braves sweep. I think they're inevitably going to win the division. Um, I don't have faith in the Phillies. I think the Phillies just, you know, did what they were supposed to do, which, you know, credit where credit is due, but I'm not going to praise them. I'm not going to over... Um, so what I'm looking for, like think that the Phillies are more than they are. They're still a team with plenty of holes. I want to see Bryce Harper do well. I hope he gets more MVP recognition, but I think the Phillies would have to go on a run for that to really happen. Um, but I, I think the Braves get right against the Nats and that's kind of where I'm at. But I think that the young guys can still continue to, uh, to, to show some stuff. But speaking of all the, the young guys, let's get into it. We're going to do a little player profile and just kind of talk about some of the young guys, um, you know, on the team recently acquired, et cetera, and talk about how they profile for the future, because obviously this is a new look Nats. We've talked about that, but also there's, there's a lot of competition to be had at several spots. And some of these young guys might not stick around because they, you know, get plenty, they get a six game sample over August and September, and they showed they can't do it. That's a pretty large sample, right? Not that the door would be shut forever, but you get a good taste of what they're able to provide with that kind of sample size. So we're going to talk about them and see what we think and, you know, where we go from here. So let's start off the top. We mentioned it a couple of times. Ryan and I and Amanda were lucky enough to attend Josiah Gray's Nationals debut on Monday night. He went five, only gave up a solo shot to Odubel Herrera, really his one mistake of the game. Didn't have the strikeout stuff, only two strikeouts, but he did display good command because he only had two walks as well. So maybe not the exact player profile that we were given at the time of the trade, but still a good debut. So where do you see Josiah Gray and what are your thoughts of him after one start? Yeah, I thought his debut was really good. His stuff mm-hmm. looked good. It showed that his stuff plays, and he was aggressive and attacked the zone. All you want is someone to throw strikes. That's literally all you want. You throw strikes, and you have good stuff. And he threw a lot of them. It. He did. His first 40 pitches, 30 of them were strikes. Max Scherzer has made a career of literally just throwing strikes. 
it plays. He got a lot of guys to pop up and fly out deep. That will be an issue when the humidity is a little bit higher, but it wasn't then, so it was okay. When you're looking at how players will pan out, especially prospects, Fangraphs has a very, very good reference for it, and it's rather accurate. They came up with a future value scale, and I'm going to refer to this throughout these guys, so I'm just going to explain it really quickly. So basically, it's a 20 to 80 scale that maps out anticipated war during the player's first six years of service. 50 is league average. Everything above one, every score up is standard deviation above. Everything below is a standard deviation below. 80 is the highest you could be. There's only one prospect that's an 80. 70 is the second highest. Sorry, 70 and 75. There's only one prospect in that range. There's 10 prospects in the 60 range. There's 10 prospects in the 55 range. Everyone else is 35 to 50 with a couple guys down to 20s who don't really matter. So when you hear a prospect being a 55 future value, that's pretty good. Considering there's one that's an 80, one to 70, only 10 that are 60. That's pretty good. Josiah Gray's future value is the highest of the nationals and they have him at a 55. What does that mean for a pitcher? Fangraphs thinks he's going to put up 2.6 to 3.4 war per year. That means he'll probably be a three or a four starter with about 160 innings. I think that's very, very spot on. I think Josiah's Gray's tenure as he's progressing is a middle of the rotation guy. I think down the line, as he progresses and gets older, I think he can become the front end of a rotation guy. But when you're looking at next year and year years down the road, I genuinely believe that Josiah Gray will be this team's three or four, definitely three in a couple of years. I think he could be in play for the team's number four starter next year. I 100% think that. And I think that's a very spot on for Gray. He can realistically be this team's three in two years. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a realistic and comfortable evaluation for him. Um Obviously, one thing we know with Nats and their prospects and the highly touted guys is there's obviously a lot of pressure on them. That's one thing I hope doesn't repeat itself with these net new era of uh, young talent that we're seeing with the Nats. Um, I love Josiah Gray. I already said I, I was a stan of his. I, you know, was it was awesome to see his debut in person on Monday. Obviously, we didn't get to see the you know close-up camera shots, but from where we were sitting, it looked like his slider is a, a very viable out pitch. Uh, he bounced a lot of them, and he, he was still fooling hitters. And maybe that's just a lack of tape, but at the same time, when you have that much lateral movement, it'll play. And when you hit 95 with the 85-mile-an-hour slider and can mix, it, mix in a curve and a change to throw off timing, that stuff plays. He's going to need to develop, and with this, the scale that that Ryan gave, that's a projection. So obviously, things could change. He could become way better than projected. He could become way worse than projected, and inevitably, he's going to have his ups and downs, as many young players do, and that's fine. It, this team needs con- oh, uh, it needs consistency, but. I don't mean necessarily performances. I just mean guys like we have too many holes right now. So if we have players that fill a need, so Josiah Gray filling a need in the rotation as a three or four, that's perfectly fine. That is perfectly fine because I think he will develop with more experience as again, a lot of players do. And I'm very excited for the future. I think he can be better than anticipated, but it's going to take 
a good pitching coach, which I don't know that the Nets have, but you know, that that's another conversation for another time. All right. Another debut that we didn't plan on seeing, but it was pretty cool to see. That's Mason Thompson. He came over in the Daniel Hudson deal was the Padres number nine prospect because of all the additions we had. He's a little bit lower in ours, but he didn't even go to the minors. He went straight to the big league club. And obviously we had plenty of open spots, vacancies in the bullpen, but he slotted right in there, looked really good, um, got the first two outs, ended up with the bases loaded, but then worked out of a jam. I believe it was against JT Real Muta too. So no easy task, Um, but you know, 97 sinker baller, not too shabby. So what do you think about Mason Thompson? Yeah. So Thompson used to be a starter um, Mm -hmm. when he was in the Padres system, it wasn't really working out. So he made the switch over to relievers, like a lot of relievers do. And the Padres are basically like, you know what? Throw as hard as you can for one inning. Let's see how it goes. Fangraphs has his future value out of 40, which basically goes to a back end substitutes um starter that makes sense as he's making the switch over to a reliever but his stuff is very very raw he has very good stuff he is a 97 mile per hour sinker ball that's going to play he also has a plus fastball um to go with the sinker ball that's his best thing like i said he's very very raw and he's still making the transition to full relief it's going to take a little bit of time for him to get used to that hey I don't have to hold back as much because I'm only going one inning. I'm not trying to pace myself to get five or six innings. I can go full force this time, but being under control, that's going to take time to get used to. Once he gets that, if the Nats can fine tune him a little bit, because like I said, he's very, very raw. I think that he could be a dominant back end reliever one day. If you have a plus sinker, you're probably going to do pretty well in the bullpen. Sinker is a tough ball to hit. You're also 6'7", and you're throwing upper 90s fastball. You have a power slider as well with that dominant sinker. You're going to do very, very well in the bullpen. He's not there yet. He's very, very raw. Him being up is good. He's getting great experience. I like that he's up. Once they fine-tune him a little bit, he's definitely going to be a very, very good back-end reliever. Yeah, I agree. I am. Grant Paulson had a great um, question today in that, uh, just to repeat it, I wonder if the Nats try to stretch out Thompson as a starter again, just because of the, I guess, or vacancy within the rotation. Fetty, I believe, is a free agent, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and obviously you, you don't have Max, you don't know what's going on with the straw. So there's plenty of opportunity within the starting rotation. I think we might see that, but I also think leaving Thompson as a reliever wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. My one concern is the Nats don't have the best history with uh, relievers in general, but specifically hard throwing relievers. Blake Trinan is one that comes to mind. He's a sinker baller, throws hard upper 90s he had his best seasons elsewhere by far his best seasons elsewhere. We kind of gave him up on him uh, a year too early, but then again, we got Doolittle and Madsen and what ended up being a crucial deal anyway. So I'm not worried about that, but um, you know, Tanner Rainey, maybe not the best comp because he throws hard and he's very unpolished and you know, who knows what's going on with him this year. Uh, But this, this goes back a while. I, I think of Henry Rodriguez. I think of, um, I'm forgetting the other guy's name. I mean, there's 
plenty of guys, Coda Glover, Aaron Barrett, like these guys were hard throwing relievers that just never amounted to anything. And I I understand injuries played a part in some of those guys uh, careers and how they turned out, but to see, not see one of them turn out all that effective is a little bit concerning. I think all of our bullpen guys, or at least our successful bullpen guys have been transplants. They've been acquired from elsewhere. So again, it's a little bit concerning, but I do have hope for Mason Thompson. So we'll see. Like Ryan said, 97 sinker baller, tough pitch hit that that's going to play. So let's fine tune it Add a power slider. A two pitch reliever is not a bad thing at all. I mean, John Doolittle was a one pitch reliever and he was fine for several years. So not the worst thing in the world. All right, let's move on to a couple guys that we've known for a while, but there are questions about their future. Eric Fetty being the first. Definitely, at least for me, better than I expected this year, at least at times. But there's also been times where it's the Eric Fetty I did expect. So overall, you know, ups and downs, as with many announces here. But where do you see him slotting in the future? Does he have a future with this team? Um, His future is another team. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's hard because you don't want to give up on young pitchers because pitchers are so different. Their peaks are a lot later and it's hard to figure out, you know, when to give up on them. The issue with Eric Fetty is that the second time through the order, guys are hitting 274, 353, 500. They're they're teeing off they're teeing off on him the second time to the order. The problem with that when you're a starting pitcher, that's usually around the third or fourth inning. I personally believe Eric Fetty's future in Major League Baseball is a reliever. I think he's good for one to two innings. He gets in trouble through the second time to the order. Oddly enough, the third time through the order, guys are hitting 214, 274, 375. So you you just gotta, you know, get through the, the middle innings and he's fine. It's just that second time through the order, he is struggling that much. That is a pretty big red flag. I think this team can do better than Eric Fetty in a rotation. I wouldn't be surprised if Eric Fetty was in the rotation again next year, just because of, you know, cheap. But this team can do better than Eric Fetty. They have to do better than Eric Fetty in the rotation. I don't know if he just needs to go somewhere else and get a refresh and see if something clicks, but I don't think he's consistent enough here to stay in the rotation, especially with this team's long-term plans of trying to compete. Eric Faye should not be in those long-term plans. I agree. Uh, everyone knew my stance on Eric Fetty coming into the season. And, you know, at the start of the season, it looked like I was going to be proven wrong, but then, you know, it's the regression towards the mean as tends to happen over 162 um, with Eric Fetty, his ERA has definitely been inflated by a past couple starts, but just his profile, you can't have like, he's at a one, three, eight whip right now. You can't have that high of a whip and not have strikeout stuff. Like you need to be able to get out of jams that you put yourself in other than, you know, balls in play, which, you know, not obviously, uh, a pitch to contact pitcher is not a bad thing, but again, if you have that high of a whip, you need to be able to get out of it yourself. At least you need to have that option, but Eric Fetty relies a lot on balls and play. And when that happens, he tends to get hit hard and thus the over five ERA. Yeah. He's, he's serviceable. Like this team knows what he is. He's 
a five starter at this point. So he's serviceable. It's not the end of the world if he's on the team, but he's also replaceable too. So if there is another option and the Nats have depth in the starting rotation, which is rare, but if they do have depth, yeah, he, he's gone. And either to the bullpen or to another team. All right. The next one, similar situation coming into the year, opted out last year. And that's Joe Ross. Better season than Eric Fetty. More consistent, but definitely ups and downs. Pitched today, six and a third, three runs. Uh, he, the weird thing with Joe Ross is he tends to get into like the sixth inning at around 80 pitches, but he seems to not be able to get over that hump. It's like either the sixth inning or 80 pitches, whatever comes first after that. It's just like, that's when he really starts to unravel. And we saw that again today, but he's getting to the sixth inning and he's doing so on less than 80 pitches or 80 pitches around there. So what's your anticipation for Joe Ross? He has one more year left on his deal. So Mm -hmm. where do you think he slots into the Nats future plans? If at all. So that was a very good analysis because when you look at Joe Ross, First time through the order, he has a 2-3-1 ERA. Guys are hitting 221, 286, 2-76. Second time through the order, he has a 2-7-7 ERA. Guys are hitting Still 208. Good. They're sl- very good. They're slashing 28, 278, 389. Third time through the order, he has a 10.19 ERA. Got- guys are hitting 329, 414, 697. That's 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 a freaking unanimous MVP. Joe Ross struggles getting through the third time of the order. Guys are picking it up. He's not mixing things up. That's fine. Joe Ross pan, pans out to be a four or a five starter. He's going to be someone you can count on for five innings. If he you know, isn't going through guys for the third time again, you can let him go six. He's just he's not someone you can let see a lineup a third time again because that's when most. He's had some starts where things go bad in the first inning, but that's where most of his starts go bad is when that third time through the order happens. That's when things go bad. I think Joe Ross is a four or five starter. He's someone you probably can keep around because he can get you five, six innings. And a guy goes five or six innings. That's fine. Especially your four or five. If you could do that, most starts, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Now we just need to limit those outings where he's given up like 5,500 runs, but it's okay. Because of late, he's been pitching really well. So it's there. I think Joe Ross should be in his team's future plans and 100% penciled in as his team's four or five starter. Love it. Absolutely love it. I mean, no surprise. I want Joe Ross on the team for the long haul. Um, He's not going to command a lot of money in his next contract, even if he has a really uh, above average by his standards year next year. He's never going to be a Cy Young contender, but that's fine. Uh, He... He's a serviceable spot. He seems to be hovering around a four ERA, which sounds about right. Like, uh, and the four, a four ERA isn't the sexiest thing in the world, but it's serviceable. If you think of the quality start standards, it's six innings, three earned runs or less. If you do the math of three earned runs given up over six innings, it's a four and a half ERA. So by quality standards, he's a quality pitcher. And he can slot in as a four or five starter. And that's really what the Nats need right now. They can't be picky, especially if they decide to move on from Fetty. You can't move on from both Fetty and Ross, just the way this team is shaping up. We obviously have Josiah Gray and Kate Cavalli will be ready at some point, but you don't want to rush them too early. And we don't have many other options. So I could see a situation where they both 
are around next year, and th- that's fine. It doesn't bother me. But past next year, I would like to see Joe Ross stick around. All right, moving on to position players, and we'll start with the one everyone's talking about, the quote-unquote homegrown guy, Luis Garcia. Uh, kind of middle infielder. He's been playing shortstop. I think he's more of a second baseman. I think the Nats kind of see him as a second baseman. He was leading off in AAA, hasn't hit above sixth with the big club. A little confusing because Alcides Escobar was a nice store for a while, but he doesn't slot in this term's long this team's long-term plans. So I don't know why you don't mix it up and get the young guys up there. And by young guys, I don't mean Adrian freaking Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I was switching up pods there for a second. Um, but where do you see <laughs> where do you see Luis Garcia slotting in uh, to this team's future plans? Yeah, so Garcia is up. People are very excited about him. Him and Carter Keboom are basically the most important people to watch right now. Um, he's not playing great in his last seven games. He's slashing 192, 250. He is slugging 538. He's slugging 452 in his last 15. He has three home runs in his last seven games. He had his first ever multi-home run game. He was also the youngest player this year. Actually, well, sorry, youngest player since Juan Soto did it to have a multi-home run game. He's young. He's very, very young. There's going to be a lot of growing pains with him. We're seeing them at the plate. We're seeing them in the field as well. It's fine. Cardi, I'm uh, sorry. Luis Garcia needs to play every single day. He needs to play every single day at second base next year as well. He's your second baseman. It doesn't take a lot defensively. Keep playing him every single day. The nerves, the, the whatever else you want to call it with the offense will work itself out and you'll figure out who he is play him every single day and he's his team second baseman. Yeah. Um, I don't see any problem with that, especially even going into next year. I don't think slotting Garcia into his starting spot is uh, necessarily an indictment on this team. Like for instance, this team came into 2021 with marching orders to build a championship caliber championship caliber roster. Right. And this team's starting third baseman was supposed to be Carter Keboom. And we'll get to him in a little bit. He's been doing much better as of late. But a championship caliber roster did not and should not feature Carter Keboom. But now that expectations have been readjusted, the pressure is kind of off on the team. These young guys can just play and ball out. I think Luis Garcia will, you know, come around. Like you said, he hasn't been overall hitting the best but he has improved as a late two home runs the other night so it is going to come around he plays above average defense again like you said i i think he is more of a second baseman but he can play short in a pinch um we'll talk about this obviously as we get to the offseason but i do think the nats need to address an infielder spot whether that be one of the the major shortstops on the market or someone like chris bryant who they can flex at third and other various positions but again we'll get to that later Point being, I think Luis Garcia is fine as long-term plan. I think he has some sneaky pop. I think he plays good defense overall, and he can provide a uh, a solid option in your starting lineup and defensively. Next guy, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. Let's go catching because there's plenty of catching to talk about. Tres Pereira came up when Jan Gomes, obviously Alex Avila, out. Impressed. He had a couple of hits that should have been home runs. Uh, they played out in San Francisco. 
they did the, the math. If that was at home, that would have been a home run. Obviously, you, you can't really factor that in. But point being, the stats might look a little bit different than what they've kind of dropped to be. He's hitting like eighth for this team right now. Obviously, you bring in a couple of highly touted catching prospects after his debut or his his uh, intro to the team this season. Does he factor into this team's long-term plans, or is it someone else, one of these other options? So he started off as one of the biggest surprises. When he first came up, he was playing really, really well. He has kind of slowed down a little bit. Um, in his last seven games, he's slashing 167, 310, 208 slugging. He has three strikeouts, three walks, no home runs. When you look at his future value, it is 30. 30 future value for position players is 0.1 war or less. Basically means up and down. I think that's pretty accurate. I see him as a future backup catcher or kind of someone like Alex Avila, who's just going to hop around a lot of places. He, I just don't really see the upside to him. You know, like he's 26 years old. That's not old. Um, so it can click, but I don't really see the upside there. I think his value is going to be a backup catcher. You can have pretty good careers doing that. You're going to be oh, yeah. in the league for a long time being a backup catcher. Look at Alex Avila. He's not, <laughs> very, he's not good at baseball, but he's been around for a while. That's fine. Teams need them. Um, but there was a reason why the Nats were pretty aggressive grabbing catcher prospects at the deadline. Yeah, they grabbed three of them in separate trades. So <laughs> that kind of tells you all they needed to know. Uh, I, I liked Tris Barrera. Uh, you know, I was rooting for him. It was a fun story when he came up. Um, you know, we were all rooting for him. But yeah, I agree. I don't see the, um, I guess, upside or the ceiling there as compared to some of these other guys we'll talk about in a second. Um, but it doesn't mean he's going to be a, a future minor leaguer or anything like that. I just think he'll be a journeyman. And there's plenty of journeymen who have great careers and long careers. And basically, as a catcher, all you need to do is endear yourself to the pitching staff, and you're, you're good. There's plenty of catchers that have made a career doing that. Catcher is not really a position you look for offensive prowess. It's more of if you get offensive prowess out of the catcher, it's a bonus. But catchers are valuable for their defense. Their pitch framing, how they call games, and like I just said, the relationship with the pitching staff, and specifically working with young pitchers, because obviously a catcher is a pitcher's best friend, and there's plenty of nerves as a pitcher coming up, and you know making the big leagues. So having a veteran catcher or an experienced catcher who can calm your pitchers down and, like I said, call a good game, it's valuable. We'll see if Tress gets to that far. Right now, he's young himself, so he's learning. Um, there was, I went to the Joe, not tonight, but the previous Joe Ross start and he and Joe Ross got crossed up a couple times. And usually that's, you know, on the catcher, but, and I'm not trying to say, you know, Tress is, is doing poorly. It's just, he's a young catcher. He's uh, needs time to grow, but I do like that the Nats are giving him uh, the clear shot to earn the job next year or age job or a spot next year. Um, just based on the corresponding moves they've made with some of their other prospects. So he's going to get his shot, and we'll see what goes. Um, next side, they just called up. We've seen a couple times over the past couple games. That's Riley Adams. He came over in the Brad Hand deal from Toronto. He was the first catching prospect, and so kind of the the one everyone looked up and had everyone's uh, eyes getting big about the new shiny toy at catcher. Does he – obviously, we, we 
didn't stop there. We got two more Catrick prospects. Like I just mentioned, does he factor into the, the, this team's plans you think, or is he a candidate to be flipped in a future deal? I think Tresperera has the potential to be flipped. I think Riley Adams is going to be around. Um, Fangraphs has his future value at 40 per year. That means that's zero to 0.7 more. That is a bench player. When you look at his prospect um, overall, his why am I blanking on a scouting report? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> when, when you look at his scouting report, he's 6'4", 235. He has a lot of raw power. His biggest tool and his biggest strength is his baseball IQ and ability to call a game. That sticks around. He has a lot of raw power. That could be someone I can see coming off the bench, being a backup catcher, calling great games, and also just hitting, hitting for power off the bench. There's a role for that. I think he is going to be this team's backup catcher. The only reason why I don't think he's going to be the starting catcher is because there's another guy we'll talk about in a second. Um, but yeah, he's going to be around for a while. Get get used get used to him. And I think he's going to be this team's backup catcher for the foreseeable future. And I think that's fine. Like we just talked about, uh, a backup catcher is no thing um, to, to turn your nose up at. They're... We've seen Jose Lobatone, who was never this team's primary guy, impact important games. And point being, backup catcher is an important spot, both to relieve your catcher. There's rarely any catchers that go more than 130 games, let alone over 110, which is what most catching situations end up being nowadays. So if you have a backup catcher, catching 50 to 60 games as the Nats have also had in past years. That's important. Think of Kurt Suzuki during the run. It wasn't just Jan Gomes. It was Kurt Suzuki before then. It, it, it was always some sort of platoon and we've always, we've seen our fair share of bad catchers. So if Riley Adams can develop into a solid backup catcher, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. I will take that, especially coming off a rental like Brad hand. Hell yeah. Well, I'll take that. Um, and it is, I didn't mention it um, when we talked about him, but it is worth noting. Tres Pereira also suspended last year, 80 games for PEDs. I just had to, to mention it to, to be thorough and, you know, for the sake of the argument when talking about the player profile. All right. So we've talked about two catchers. We agreed none of them are necessarily the long-term answer at the position. One more to go. Keybert Ruiz or Key Bear. It's Key Bear. He it's came key, out. It's Key Bear. Yeah, uh, came out and said that's how you pronounce his name. So it's Key Bear. So Key Bear Ruiz, obviously the prized possession in the Max Scherzer Trey Turner deal. He was the Dodgers' number one prospect. He's uh, depending on what list you look at, as high as 16th in baseball. Usually, definitely top 35, but kind of that you know 15 to 30 range for the most part, uh, depending on what top 100 list you look at. So a highly touted prospect, switch hitter. Has some power, already hitting third for AAA. Um, I mean, I, we were both really excited when we saw his name included in the deal. Is he going to be the real deal? Do we think he's going to be the answer? I do. So he is the Nationals' top prospect on MLB.com. He's MLB.com's 16th overall prospect. Fangraphs has him as the second best prospect in this organization. Davis future value at 50 future value 
of 50 is league average, an average everyday player that comes to 1.6 to 2.4 war. If you're getting a two, a two war out of your catcher, that's pretty good. That's the thing about this is you have to take the position into consideration as well. Two war for a catcher is fine. He's down in the minors right now for a reason. And it's to fine tune his defense. He gets a little laxy daisy with his receiving. He gets a little sloppy on his transfer as well. So he has to fine tune his defense, but the boy can hit. He was hitting 311, 381, 613 before he was traded to the Nats. He's a switch hitter. He has plus power. He has a plus arm behind the plate. He is an elite contact grade right now. He can hit. He is good. When he gets that defense ready, he will be up this year. He's going to come up in September call-up, so I'm 100% certain, if not before then. He is his team's franchise catcher, and this team has their starting catcher going forward. I am very, very excited about him. There's a reason why the Dodgers didn't want to give him up. There's a reason why the Nats kept focusing on the Dodgers. This analytics department loves Kiber Ruiz. He is a rare catcher. It's a catcher who can hit well off um, contact and hit well power. That's rare. He also has a very, very strong arm. Like he has a 55 grade hit. Like that's not very common with catchers. It's a, it's effectively like a 70 grade hit for anyone else. <laughs> Literally. So like you, that's the thing. You have to take these positions into consideration. Catchers are the worst offensive position on the field. If you're getting a catcher, it's giving you two war. That is fantastic. If you have a catcher who's hitting above 250, it's a rare breed. He's hitting 311 in the minors. He has almost a 400 on base percentage in the minors. That's unheard of for catchers. Now, it's no guarantee it'll transfer over to the majors, but he has the tools and he's shown the ability that he can do at the majors level. He is major league ready. The Nats want to fine tune his defense a little bit, which I'm okay with. Let them figure it out because there's some good hitting catchers who can't play defense. Gary Sanchez. You don't want that. Let him find to the defense, figure it out. And he will be this team's catcher for the next six years. At least. Yeah. yeah I, I completely agree with that analysis. And I uh, was curious about the decision to put him in AAA at first until I heard the reasoning. And then I was like, yep, I'm on board. The reasoning, if you guys didn't hear it and our good friend, Matt wire got to the bottom of it. Um, they decided to put key bear Ruiz in AAA, despite him being major league ready because they wanted him to have the ability to play every day. And up here, you obviously have Tress getting his shot. You have Riley Adams kind of working in a backup platoon scenario. But Tress can be the unquestionable starter every single day in AAA. And like Ryan just said, the big thing for him is fine-tuning his defense. He's working with AAA pitchers right now. He needs to make sure his defense is good and his game calling is good when he works with big league pitchers. It's important. Yeah, we quote unquote punted on 2021, but you still want to develop that report going in, especially if this team is counting on Kiber Ruiz to be their starting catcher moving forward, which obviously they are, and we expect them to be uh, counting on him. So you want to develop those reports now. So that way entering 2022, you don't have a growing period or, um, you know, growing pains with a battery of any one of our pitchers in Kiber Ruiz. So I'm all for it. I agree. I think he'll be up in September and we'll get to see some and some of these fans will get to see what all the hype is about. And I'm very, very excited for it. Yeah, I think he's the real deal. And there was the one clip going around the other day. Um, so he threw out a guy in AAA, but it was kind of a, a wacky um, 
play where he blocked a ball. So he was already standing straight up and he didn't realize the guy was stealing. So he's just kind of standing there. And all of a sudden he realizes this guy's stealing and his arm is strong enough to throw a guy out. Obviously that's not going to happen in the major league level. Guys will just steal if that ever happens. But the fact that his arm compensated enough to throw out a runner after not realizing he was even stealing goes to show you, like Ryan said, how strong this kid's arm is. So I'm very excited. And hopefully, you know, he is the real deal because, you know, like I said, and like we're talking about right now, these young guys panning out is really key to this team's success and where it goes from here. And we want this team to be successful and competitive. And that's going to hinge on a lot of these young guys we've been talking about and we'll continue to talk about. And Key Bear Ruiz is right at the center of it. So very excited for him. All right. A couple of guys to, to finish up that we're going to talk about. They're staples. We've talked about a lot, but just to kind of fine tune it, put a bow on it. And obviously this is a transition period for the Nats. That's why we're talking. And we're going to see some of these guys who have questions or who have had questions about their place with the Nats prior to the deadline. We're going to re- it, revisit those issues now that we're post-deadline and in entering a new era for the Nets. And at the start of it is a highly titled prospect that has never really flashed his potential, and that's Victor Robles. He's the leadoff guy now, which I like. Give, give the guy a shot to, to bat leadoff, see what he can do. He's struggling, but doesn't mean he will struggle the rest of the season. I'm more than happy giving him the opportunity to work through it, as he will need to as a big league ball player playing every day. But realistically, and I don't think we are even talking about 2022 because he's definitely going to be around 2022. If this team was trying to be competitive, you could make the argument they they trade him for something else. But he's definitely going to be around for 2022. But we'll say 2023 or whenever you think this team is going to be competitive again, is Victor Robles a part of that team? Man, the Robles question is so Interesting. So I'm going to start by looking at this baseball savant page. Rule of thumb, you can't look at baseball savant out of context. You have to look at everything in context. You can look at it and be like, oh, that's a lot of blue. This guy sucks. Or that's a lot of red. That guy's good. You have to look at everything in context. That's why you have to look at the full slash line for a player. You can't just look at one of them. You have to take everything in context, the full slash line, the position, everything. So that being said, I am going to start talking about his Sabbath. He's in the first percentile for exit velocity. 99 is the best. Um, he's 3% for hard hit, 12% in expected batting average, 9 in expected slugging, 11 in barrel percentage. His sprint speed is very high. His chase rate is good. His outs above average is great. His outfielder jump is good. He is struggling offensively. He just can't hit the ball hard. You look at his Babbitt, that's batting average of balls in play. It's 267. That's a little bit lower than his career. So that says there's a little bit of bad luck there. So he is underperforming where he should be right now. So you can't expect some positive regression or progression, excuse me, but not much. And then you look at his slash line. In his last 15 games, he's slashing 125, 300, 250. His 15-game and 30-game slash line is almost identical. In the last 30 games, he's slashing 122, 270, 232. That's not good. (laughs) He has two home runs on the season. Like He provides plus defense, but he's such a liability offensively where I don't know where 
you can start him every single day. Like I, tr- again, it's the Jackie Bradley Jr. thing. He's going to be on this team. He's going to be on this team for a long time because the contract he's going to get right now is a two-year, $20 million contract. Like maybe you can get more years now, but he's not going to get high AAV, but that's a very manageable contract with the defense he provides. He's going to be on the team for a very long time because of that defense. I don't think he's going to be a starter, especially when this team is going to start competing again. I think he's going to be the defensive specialist, but as of right now, you just got to let him play and just pray he can somehow figure out how to hit the baseball because right now he's beyond lost at the plate. I think you nailed it. Everyone knows where I stand on Victor Robles. The only thing I will add is previously I was not willing to let him work it out. He was a liability to a team trying to contend. Now that we are in a transition, transitionary phase, I am happy to let him try to work through his struggles. Do I think he can? No. I think when you have the sample size Victor Robles does, you need to accept what you are seeing. If he is showing you who he is over three plus seasons of baseball, believe him. Right. Carter Keyboom, who we'll talk about next, is a different example because he doesn't have quite the sample size that Victor Olis does. If Carter Keyboom stinks for another year, then, yeah, believe who he is. That is who he is. But we haven't gotten there yet. Victor Olis, we're there. We're past there. I, I think he is who he is at this point. It happens. Sometimes projections are wrong, like we talked about off the top with Josiah Gray. Sometimes projections are wrong. And the projection on Victor Robles is obviously very, very highly regarded. The Nats said no to deals, including him as a centerpiece. We can go down that what if for for hours and hours. We're not going to do that. We're looking at the team as is and the team going forward. I think Victor Robles will be on the team going forward, but I don't think he is a long-term answer at the position. And that's where I fall. But speaking of who I said we were going to talk about, Carter Keeboom. Obviously, we've talked about him a lot. He has not looked great at times, specifically defensively. But we're like, all right, we'll take poor defense if he can hit. And he was hitting in the minor leagues. But he wasn't hitting in the majors, and that was a problem. You can have the greatest Barry Bonds-like minor league career of all time. It doesn't matter if you can't hit in the majors, Right. So he gets called up just due to circumstance and obviously all these players leaving plenty of opportunity to work through struggles. Like I just mentioned with Victor Robles and lo and behold opportunity and decreased pressure and expectations have lended themselves well to Carter Keeboom. looks like he's playing with increased confidence over his last seven, four, 17, 43, 708 for that's an OPS above 1100 folks, two home runs, which, by God, he's hitting home runs. We saw one in live and in person Monday night. It was awesome. Two home runs, six RBIs, four walks, only four strikeouts over his last seven. Phenomenal stuff from the young guy. Had small sample size, I know, but do we have faith that he has turned a corner and can be a long-term option for this team? You know, this is the first time where he has shown that progress and shown that, hey, look, he's actually making strides. He said, you know, before he wasn't ready to hit, but now he's ready to hit. 
he just said, sorry, I just had the greatest clutch of all time in Warzone. I had to celebrate. I was getting so intense right now. Oh my God. Sorry. I am a legend. It was 1v8 and I just killed all eight of them. Anyways, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, so back to Kibum. Kibum just said, you know, before he just wants to be ready to hit. He wasn't ready to hit and now he's ready to hit. I don't know what that means, but it's working. He's looking good. He has confidence. He literally like, you know, he had a little strut after he walked. We haven't seen that confidence from him. He's looked like a complete disaster at the plate. It's finally there. Now, it is a very small sample size, but for the first time in his career, he is looking like who the national study was. He is a plus hitter. He's hanging the ball well. He's working counts. He's getting on base, and he's playing so well. The defense is an issue. And 2019, he had a negative six DRS, struggled. In 2020, he had a four DRS. Now he has a negative four. And DRS means defensive run saved. Um, his zone rating is negative 28. That's not very good. He's struggling defensively. That's fine because he's hitting. If you hit, you trade off the defense every single time. The defense will come. A lot of it's bad throws right now. He needs to get his feet underneath him more. But for the first time in his career, he is finally looking like Carter Keeboom. And I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. I didn't think we would ever see it. So it's just more of a pleasant surprise at this point. I'm excited. Um, not that I was ever rooting against him. I Again, I just didn't have the expectations that he would do well. And he is. And I'm like, hey, I'm all for this. This is pretty cool. Let's keep it going. And Typically, not always, but typically, if you get one aspect of your game going, so for instance, if he continues his his hot streak at the plate, that's going to translate well to his defense because you get that confidence. You get the uh, sense that you should be here. The imposter syndrome is gone, right? Carter Cubum's going to feel like a major leaguer, and he's going to hold himself to that standard, and he's going to play to that standard. Is his defense going to be gold glove level? Probably not, but doesn't mean he can't play better defense and play solid defense. Everyone has errors. Everyone thought Trey Turner was a great defensive shortstop. He's near the top of the league in errors. It doesn't mean he has a bad defensive shortstop, but just saying errors are part of the game, especially with your infielders and the amount of putouts you have and opportunities you have playing that position, you know, for 162 or, you know, the majority of the season. So like we talked about off the top with Carter, we will take – average to sometimes blow average defense if he can provide above average offense right now he is i mean shit god i keep mixing up pods um <laughs> if he can hit you know above 300 obviously you you will take that and right now he's hitting above 400 over his last seven again not sustainable but it's pretty cool to to watch in the meantime all right last guy not a prospect but he was being floated around. Um, his name floated around at the deadline. They opted not to move him. He's under contract for another year. So that lends the question, is he around long-term? Do they want him around long-term? And that's Josh Bell. I love Josh Bell. I've been a fan of his ever since he got here. I've stuck with him through a terrible first month, and it's only gotten better since then. So I'm feeling the uh, fruits of my loyalty come to fruition, and, and it's awesome. Uh, he's definitely a bright spot for a lot of people uh, after maybe their favorite player left. And obviously the, the players that they've come to know over the past couple of years have left. 
and Josh Bell is a reason to be excited for this team, root for this team. He had another home run today, and he just continues raking, and I love it. So, again, does that lend the question, is he here long-term? 100% yes. There is a reason why this team didn't trade Josh Bell. Multiple reasons. One, they don't have any first baseman prospects. Um, they they don't have any first baseman prospects. That's what I was, it comes down to. <laughs> I was I was literally trying to think in my head. They don't really have him on first base, so they like, had to keep him. They drafted a guy in the third round, but I mean, a third round prospect in the MLB draft is not the type of like third round in the NFL where you're like, oh, maybe this guy can be a real impact player. Like, no, third round in the MLB, the first round in the MLB is far from a sure thing. So yeah, they don't have anyone at first base. Yeah, but he's been one of the best first baseman in baseball since mid-May. Ever since he kind of got his groove again from COVID, he's been really, really good. He's slugging almost, uh, slugging above 500 since June. His numbers are really, really good. He's not striking out a lot. He's putting the ball into the gaps, and he's finally being the player that we thought he could be. I said early on in the season, if he gets 600 ABs, he would have to hit at least 300, get to 275. He's not hitting 300, but he's playing well enough to get himself to the 250 to 260 range. And if he finished 250, 260 with how horrible he was to start the year, that's fantastic. That being said, Josh Bell is going to get an extension from this team. I genuinely believe he's going to be one of the building blocks. I think he's only 28 years old. He is going to be a building block. He's also not going to get a lot of money. I don't see above 12 million AAV right now. Yep. Freddie Freeman is a free agent. Freddie Freeman is going to reset the first baseman market. I don't think Josh Bell is going to be impacted by that too much. Um, He kind of has some defensive issues that are going to hurt him and a little inconsistency offensively, but I love Josh Bell. I think he's going to be the first baseman for the long term. I think he's going to take over as the, you know, the everyday first baseman that Ryan Zimmerman used to be. Um, and yeah, he is going to be our first baseman for the future. I feel very, very confident in saying that. Yeah, I agree. I had him slotted at like a three-year, thirty-three to thirty-six million dollar contract, depending on you know deferrals. If there obviously there's deferrals, as the learners tend to do, that that contract's going to be a little bit more because obviously you got to pay up if you want to include deferrals and kick the can down the line, as again the learners to uh, tend to do. But again, that's not a lot of money to commit to him uh, and. You know, there's going to be times where he outperforms that contract. There might be times where he doesn't perform to that contract, but overall it's going to be about right. And I agree he can and should, and seems like he will be a building block for this team and a good one at that. If this team needed power that he was one of the the moves they made to address it. And he's been addressing it. I I love watching him play. Uh, Now I just wish Ryan Zimmerman would stop playing so I could see Josh Bell play more. It is worth noting Juan Soto did feel a little something in his knee today. We don't have any more information than that. Uh, obviously, I think the team's going to take it very um, easy with Juan. They're not going to rush him back. Again, this might be a moot point, and he might be back tomorrow. But if this does linger, they're just going to sit him. If not, place him in the IL. That might open the door for one of our young outfielders like uh, Lane Thomas, who came over in the John Lester deal, who – Already the best deal in all of trade deadline history. Um, 
might open the door for him. He's been raking at AAA in his few games to the team. Might open the door finally for Daniel Palka. I believe that's how you say his last name. He's been raking all season long. Um, my final point to wrap up this segment is people like Alcides Escobar, Gerardo Parra, even Andrew Stevenson, they, they're not your long-term answers. So let the young guys play and see what you got. I think that's fair enough. Speaking of what you got or what you can get, Manscaped. Get some Manscaped in your life. Our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming, want you to shave your pubes with the best. And as you guys might have seen today on our Twitter, it's football season, but it's fantasy football season. And Manscaped wants you to get ready for this season with the GOAT technology for the greatest balls of all time. Those are yours. When you're going towards the end zone, make sure you use the right tools for the job and choose Manscaped. Two million men worldwide trust them. So join the movement with our exclusive offer by using code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped. The 4.0 is awesome. The best tool in the game got better with 4.0. I don't know how they're going to make it even better. I know they will at some point, but until then, 4.0 is exactly what I need and more. And hopefully it is for you too. If you've used our promo code, taken advantage of the offer and gotten some manscaped in your life. But if you haven't yet, no judgment, go to manscaped.com. Use our promo code HSHH20. Find something you like, find something you want to try out. No harm, especially when you get 20% off and free shipping. So go do that now, right now, do it now. All right. Last thing on the docket, the (laughs) schedule release. Which, you know, it's not quite the, as big of a deal as it is. Obviously, the NFL, the NFL only has 17 games. So it, it's very important who you're playing week to week and when your bye week is and, and all that stuff. And will be obviously the most games in any major sport. Not that important in the grand scheme of things. You do highlight, you know, West Coast road trips or divisional games when the all-star break is, who you're playing going into the break, who you're playing coming out of the break, all that stuff. Grand scheme of things. It's not that important. However, with a team, with a, a league that struggles to market its game as much as MLB has, you would think you would want to make some sort of event out of this. And, you know, we sports fans go crazy over everything. I mean, the NFL draft, NBA draft has become spectacles now. MLB draft is increasing in popularity, especially this past year. And again, when you struggle to market your game, let's, you know, make everything a big deal. And then that'll garner people's attention. But now that's not the way Rob Manfred and company work. They choose a random Wednesday in August around lunchtime with no warning to drop the schedule. But hey, that, that's not our job. Obviously, if it was, we would be running the show a little bit differently. What are your thoughts on the Nets? 2022 schedule they opened with the Mets for like the 20th year in a row no surprise there a bunch of divisional games to start a bunch of divisional games to end it's usually how it goes but overall what's your thoughts on the schedule yeah so like you said the season is going to start on March 31st 2022 they will start the season in New York mixing up 
Their first home series is going to be a quick two game set against the Phillies. And then they'll play the Mets again. And then they head to Atlanta in Pittsburgh. Looking at the schedule, there are some notable series to take a look at. The Dodgers with Trey Turner are going to be coming to DC in May 23rd and May 25th. The Houston Astros are also coming to DC in May. Um, that should be fun. Uh, that is the first time they're playing each other since the World Series, since the July 4, 2020 series was canceled. Um, the Nats go to the O's in June, as always, and they also play them at September 13th and 14th. Unfortunately, they are playing at Anaheim. That makes me upset. No Shohei, will, no Trout, no Rendon. No Shohei, no Trout, no Rendon. So I have to go to the Orioles to see them. Um, the Nats also make their first appearance in Globe Life. In June, they also play the fun Mariners at home on July 12th and 13th. And also in August, the A's come to town with some old friends as well. And they close with the Phillies. Then they also, my favorite series of the year, is the July 4th series. And that is going to be a game against the Marlins. Usually it's a big team, only the Marlins. And then the All-Star break is July 19th through the 21st in LA. It's a good schedule. Um having the the Orioles and a lot of Miami, a lot of Atlanta also in September is going to be fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a good schedule. It's hard to look, you know, do predictions off because so much changes year to year in baseball, unlike mm-hmm. other sports. But I was in the year too. Literally. Um, I always like seeing schedule release. It's fun. I just like looking at it and be like, oh, I'm going to go this game. I'm going to go that game. But yeah, there's um, ALS this year and NLS, it looks like. So I'm excited. Um, there's a lot of teams that you don't really get to see a lot, like the A's and the Mariners are going to be coming to town. So that's going to be pretty fun to see. Yeah, I agree. And good opportunity to see some teams and players that you might not see all that often. So obviously that's, what, eight months away or whatever it is. But still something to look forward to, especially if uh, you've already given up on the season. Which, by the way, officially, I am back in on the season because I'm rooting for these young guys. So after all said and done, the Nats did get me back in on the season. It just wasn't in the way I expected. All right. Good episode. I'm feeling good about it, but let's wrap it up with our one big thing. You got yours ready? Um, My one big thing is kind of just along the everything else. Let the young guys play, get a good draft pick. Let's play spoiler. Every analyst team is still alive. They're all playing for something. Play spoiler, get a top 10 pick. I'll be very happy with how the season goes. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. The team's more fun now. They're a lot more loose. You know, they're not as uptight when you're a team that's supposed to be good losing. They're a team that just just knows who they are. And I'm excited. Just keep having fun and let's ride on. Yeah, I agree. And uh, mine is similar in that these games do matter. Obviously not in all likelihood for this season, but for how this team operates moving forward, it is important that these young guys at least some of them at the very least show some capability and that they can handle uh, what it's like to be an everyday starter at the major league level. Um, I do think, and again, I'm not trying to jump the gun, but I do want to kind of plant my flag here and there. Um, I do think the Nats need to make a major addition this off season and not necessarily to, uh, to contend in 2022. Obviously if they do, that's great, but I don't think that's a realistic timeline for them. But it doesn't mean you can't add a building block now. All the teams that we see up and coming have been adding 
building blocks for years. They didn't do it all in one offseason. It's impossible to make like completely remake a team in one offseason. This is going to take time, but it does not mean the Nats cannot progress to where they inevitably want to end back up. This offseason is very position player heavy, and that is a good thing because that's exactly what the, the Nats need. They need a another position player to pair with a Juan Soto and now a Josh Bell of sorts to be a building block. Like I just said, there's plenty of options. Shortstop is very deep with Correa, Baez, uh, Story, um, Seager, Semyon. I mean, those are five extremely viable options right there. Uh, you add a Chris Bryan in the mix. You add a Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo, which I don't think the Nats target, but it does affect the Nats because you're going to have teams that are in the same position as the Nats vying for services of a you know high-profile infielder that might be bidding on a Freddie Freeman at the same time as a uh, you know Corey Seager, who maybe the Nats are going after. So Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo being on the market does impact the Nats, even if they are not going after them. I like, obviously, I think shortstop makes the most sense because that's our biggest need and obviously a premier position. And this crop of uh, free agent shortstops is like unlike any other uh, that we've seen, especially in recent history. So you can, you're in prime position to add a premier player. But I love Chris Bryant. I've loved him for a long time. And it makes sense with what the Nets tend to like to do. Chris Bryant is extremely versatile defensively. You probably sign him to play third base, but he can slide into left field. He can play right field. Hell, he can even play center field. He can pretty much play anywhere besides shortstop and catcher. And that's not a thing that you <laughs> easily like turn your nose at. At like that's extremely valuable, especially if for whatever reason he's not really a good third baseman anymore. He's not a liability. DH is probably coming too, so that that's obviously more of a incentive to give a long-term contract to a position player as these position players will command. You can, you know, slot them in at DH in the latter part of the career if they become liabilities defensively. So point being, there's just a lot of reason to sign one of these premier players, premier position players to a long-term deal, get a building block. It's not maybe the liability that it once was, especially defensively. Playing in the NL, a lot of reason to do it. Plus, you want to maximize Juan Soto's contract, as we talked about a lot. So, long story short, sign a position player. I believe they will at least be in the running for them. And, you know, for the fans that might have been sad because their favorite player went away, the Nats are have reason to compete and be aggressive in the future. And that's what we all hope for. Right. Every offseason, it's who can my team add to make my team better? And that's what we can do uh, this offseason. Plenty of guys to make it happen. But we'll get to that as we hit the offseason. But there's still plenty of baseball left to play. And I will be watching. I hope you guys are, too. All right, Ryan. You got anything else before we go? That's it. Let's ride. Let's ride. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Amanda will likely be back on Monday. For Monday's episode, recap the events of the Brave series and what happened over the weekend. Um, but in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Nationals Ace, at We Are All Shack, at A White Seven Seven Seven, at Half Street High Heat. Check out our website, HalfStreetHighHeat.com. And you know, again, follow us on Twitter. A lot of great content being pumped out. Switch it by Shack. Shack's the best.
All right, guys, until Monday. See you later, and let's go Nats. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls, so that's the commentator who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later. the early light of dawn well you can see they're running scared cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are and bursting in the air tell the library of congress that they might not want to look cause we're putting curly w's in every book let's go Nats. we've got a game to play we're gonna win today let's Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.